Portia, we are just two pearls. Join us for adventures in pearls. A reading of Howard Thurman, The Patience of Unanswered. Teach me the patience of unanswered prayer is a line of the familiar hymn. It opens up before the mind of the wide intensity of unfulfilled hopes, broken dreams, and anguished denials. Who is there that is not carried at a central place in his or her concerns, the persistent hunger, sometimes dull and quiet, sometimes feverish and angry for something that has not come to pass? The hunger moves in the background of all the days like the rubble of distant thunder and the far off roar of the sea. Sometimes it is so close that all life seems summarized in its urgency and its denial, the denial of life itself. Slowly it may dawn upon the spirit that there is a special ministry of unfulfillment. It may be that persistent hunger is an angel of light carrying out a particular assignment in life. With the coming of this possibility into consideration, slowly tensions are relaxed and the center of emphasis is shifted from the hunger itself to what is meant to deal with it through all the years. Slowly at first, the words are shaped and the pattern of them shows itself. At last, a person may say, I know that there is present in my life a quality that is only mine because the hunger is mine. Thus at last, I come to the door and seek entrance where is gathered the great community. I know the password. Teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. Dr. Howard Thurman, amen. 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 Teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. Mm. I feel like the title itself and the last sentence itself really fit well with where we're headed with this. Mm. We are going to talk, we're going to do a couple of shows that focus on single black female Christian life. Mm. (laughs) And what that looks like, what the church has to say about it, what society has to say about it, and like how do we live in this reality. Mm. Um, and I know that for me, I was never like when I was growing up, I think there's like this stereotype that all girls are like in their bedrooms planning their weddings. <laughs> and I definitely was not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also never thought like getting married in the future would be like a problem or like a point of anxiety. Mm. I thought it was something that, you know, just like looking around me and seeing black married adults. I just assumed like, oh, that's like a thing. It happens at a point in your life where you're ready for that. And I'm 12 and I'm playing with Barbies and going to school. And so I don't need to be concerned about that right now. And just like when I'm about 25, it'll all just happen. (laughs) That was kind of like my feeling about that. I didn't think that it was necessarily anything that I had to be like stressed or anxious or 
put myself in these certain places. And I think the way that the church taught about it, it was kind of like, you know, prepare yourself for your husband by being pure and holy and Christian and coming to church. You'll meet a good man in the church when you are of age. And you two walk down the wedding, down the aisle at this church. You'll be married. You will sing the Lord's Prayer. And you will go be fruitful and multiply. So that was kind of like the narrative. Like, it'll just happen when it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's still the narrative, even for black Christian women who were, like, in their 30s. And they're like, shouldn't it have been supposed to have happened by now? And the church is still like, oh, it'll happen when God says it's supposed to happen. (laughs) Whatever that means, right? (laughs) And so women are praying and calling their friends and telling their friends to pray and remaining abstinent and praying and praying and praying some more and doing all these fasts and prayer circles and some more praying and some more purity, going to Bible study some more. And the prayer seems to be, as Reverend Howard Thurman calls it, Unanswered. Unanswered prayer. And the church says, be patient. And you wake up one day and you're 50, 60, you're still not married, and the season of childbearing has been passed on. And it's like, how do how do we respond to that reality? Like that could be our story. Like the church has told us, oh, be be patient, wait, all things in God's timing. It's all in the will of God. It's not your season. It's not your time. You're single because it's a it's a reason and there's purpose in your singleness. Live into it, enjoy yourself, love it. And it's just like, okay, well, when do I start making plans? When do I start making arrangements? When do I start becoming intentional about my dating life? And it's like, how do you do all the things all those things but then yet you come into church and you're like oh all in god's timing but then there's that other side jamie mm-hmm. where people are like so when are you getting a boyfriend <laughs> so when are you getting married <laughs> ain't it about time for you to start having children you know one day you're gonna make a great mother but you gotta get that man first and it's like whoa right when do you get off trying to tell me what i need to be doing for my life and i mean those are conversations that are happening. Mm-hmm. Those are things that people are saying to us as black women who are young, who are professional. Don't waste your time in your career because your eggs are going to dry up. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. Like, what does that mean? And so we're here today to really have a conversation about this singleness and this dating and this Christian life and this walk. And what does that look like for us? Because truthfully, this whole singleness thing is not a one size fits all. It's not. It's not. You know, dating and and in the 21st century, it's not a one size fit all anymore. Mm. And so I think we should have some conversation about that. Yeah, we got to work this thing out. Yeah. So where to begin? Um, I mean, the family planning conversation is like its own thing, right? Like I'm telling everybody, <laughs> I got to get these eggs harvested. Apparently you got to do that at like 30 or whatever. So it'll still be nice and springy and fresh when you're ready for them. <laughs> I'm the issue with that is like i don't know if you've done any research on that that's outside of my budget (laughs) (laughs) i'm like you know the particular financial direction i'm headed in right now unless something in my life you know like i don't know i don't like if i found the church that's like i don't know like raising millions of dollars every week there are just certain things that i can't really afford in the direction that i'm headed did we forget to tell you that we're preachers (laughs) (laughs) and we spent a lot of money on education um and then even money that wasn't spent on education we weren't really earning like that because we were focusing on the educational pursuit itself Mm. 
which is like, um, you know, I know that uh, speaking of parents a little bit more, my parents went straight into the military, did that sort of thing. They got their college degrees, you know, while I was growing up and they have perfectly like successful careers right now. And it's like for a lot of my peers, I remember they always told us, go to college. If you want to go to graduate school, go straight into graduate school. I don't have any regrets about that. But at the same time, my life looks very different from the way that my parents' lives looked mm, at 26. Mm. And they followed a completely different path, right? And there was nothing wrong with my path. I'm very proud of my path. Um, I like how independent that I can be. I like it that kind of I have access to so much that I know that, you know, if we're just talking about my mother, that she didn't have access to when she was 26. And I partially have that because of the life that, she helped to cultivate for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, it's like there are elements of her life that I definitely want, right? I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm particularly ready for children right this moment, I but I want right. to head in a direction <laughs> where like when I am ready for children, I feel like I'm in a nice stable partnership and a place in my life where like financially I can make that right. work. And it's challenging because I feel like I'm trying to head in that direction, but I'm always not quite headed in that direction. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. I do. I do. I feel you because when I think about my parents at 26, my parents were married. Mm -hmm. They had a house. Mm -hmm. They had a child. You Mm -hmm. know, they had my sister. And when I think about where I am at 26, I'm like, I'm in, I have none of those things. Right. You know? I don't have a spouse. I don't have a child. I don't own my own home, even though I have an apartment, but I don't own my own home. And right. I'm not building a family with anyone. What I do have is a dog. I have a career. Yeah, hey I have a degree. And, <laughs> you know, well, a couple of degrees now, right? And so that feels good. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, society makes me feel sometimes like that's not enough. Like, it's not enough that I'm a single black woman doing my thing, Mm -hmm. you know, entrepreneuring, entrepreneuring, you know, (laughs) you know, have a blog. Now we're doing this podcast, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing things that are more than I could have ever imagined for my own self, you know? Right. And so since when did the hustle and the pursuing of your dreams and aspirations become not enough? Since when did we have to give up those things in our twenties to want to, Feel like we have to settle down with right. someone else or that we need someone to complement our lives to get these um goals and aspirations like we can't do them by ourselves right and we can but there's still that thing it's like but sometimes i do want to maybe unload and talk to somebody about these things maybe there's those moments where i do want somebody to come bring me some chick-fil-a at 10 o'clock and like, hey, hey babe can you bring me that chick-fil-a you know ain't nothing wrong with it but you know that's that there's a chick-fil-a in bridgeport so he'll be definitely taking a, a trek to get yeah, me some hike. chick-fil-a right but still like there are those moments like where where we do want those things and mm-hmm. i and i wonder if there's a space to have both where where we can have both and not feel like we have to envy or be jealous of the people who do have both or maybe we may perceive as having both because I think right. that's a point too. Yeah, perception. Yeah. And, you know, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, like in terms mm-hmm. of our mothers, right? So they had these like lives that we would consider to be full lives for women, right? Yeah. At their time. Um, and yet it's like they would have loved to have had some of the like freedoms and some of the like ability to feel like they could start their own businesses and yeah like broadcast their podcast and that sort of thing. (laughs) 
things that we have the opportunity to do in part because of a the groundwork that they laid for us mm-hmm. but b because i'm um, you know, because we do have the educational background to be mm-hmm. able to do these things in part because they told us that this is what we were supposed to do. Sure and did. at the end of it, there was a magic pot of gold and a man waiting for us. So, you know, I do feel at least in part deceived. <laughs> I, I feel so deceived, too, because, you know, they tell us and I granted, I promise you this. I did not go to Spelman College to find a man at Morehouse mm-hmm. College. But they, yeah, you go, but for some reason, they want to play this whole thing in your mind like there's going to be a man on the other side of the arch you know there's a a Spelman arch you know that Mm -hmm. we walk through when we become alumna and there's some reason they feel like oh there's going to be a man on the other side and it's like no there isn't my computer just reacted to what you were talking about that was an amen yeah my computer was like (laughs) hey I totally understand that Spelman arch I was looking for a man too on the other side of the Spelman Arch. And it's like, <laughs> no, boo, he ain't there. But what was on the other side for me was a, praise the Lord, a full tuition ride to Yale Divinity School Amen. was waiting for me on yes, the other side. Hallelujah. Which was great and amazing. And I would not take that back for anything. So, yeah, it's okay to not to play into the myth of, oh, you have to get married as soon as after you're done with college. And that's mm-hmm. okay. We all have different paths. There's different... Um, there's different, God has different dreams for us all. And I think it's okay for us to be comfortable enough to live in that, but then also still desire the other things. And I think we try to play downplay desire, right. like desire is a bad thing, but mm-hmm. it's not. So that's just my thought. So Candace Bimbo, I'm, who is a up and coming theologian, hey, um, published this article uh, on her blog on September 4th. And she talks in it about her own experience with singleness, mm-hmm. um, which is like multi-layered because she has a mother who died single at 60. And now she is, of course, living as a single woman and doesn't feel like she fully has somebody to like share the weight of that burden with. Mm. Um, like a the grief of course of losing a mother Mm. but also just like the daily like joys and challenges of life like going back to what you were saying you know sometimes you do want somebody to unburden on but you also want somebody to like call when like life is going really well no that's right right and you don't want that person to be like your mom or your dog all the time like you want like (laughs) a peer who you can call and like that person is excited for you and is living that dream with you so yes it is cool to be able to achieve your dreams on your own and to have that independence at the same time it is also cool to have somebody who's like sharing with you and who's your partner in achieving those goals and so candace talks in this article um about the importance of touch which is something that i want to talk about a little bit okay um she says that there's a real need for it and she wonders uh, or she goes to the doctor after her mother died and she says that in the wake of her mother's passing her skin began to do some crazy things and she sought the help of a dermatologist. And she says that after the dermatologist examined her and heard about what happened in her life, the dermatologist said that her skin was missing her mother and her Mm. her body was grieving the loss. And so she asked the question in her blog post, if our bodies react to unexpected traumas, in what ways are they reacting to the continuous neglect they face? Mm. And so after I read this article, <laughs> I was very troubled for like two or three days <laughs> because, you know, I think it went into an aspect of 
singleness that I don't necessarily like dwell on too much. Mm-hmm. Like I think more about the partnership. I think more about like my eggs drying up. <laughs> These are the things that I'm concerned about. But I don't even think about the physical need that we have to be held and to be touched and to be loved in like healthy physical ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we deal with that? That's a good question. And so I think there are two things. So there's two things I want to touch on. I think her bringing up our body holding grief and trauma is definitely something I think is worth talking about maybe in another episode. Because mm-hmm. I think um, as black women, we tend to hold trauma in our bodies. Um, you know, whether it's our mother's trauma or our grandmother's trauma or our grandmother's grief, I think we hold right. that. And, t- and also with our own grief, we hold those things in tension. For so sure. I think that's something we can probably talk about um, again. So um, thank you, one Candace, for bringing that up and just that we hold grief and trauma in our bodies. And so I think that's important. But two, um, this longing and this desire for a human touch, it's just like, it's almost like a taboo. Like we're not supposed to touch each other. Like mm-hmm. from even as children, they separate the boys from the girls. Like right. we're not supposed to have contact. Right. And it's just like, and what human life is it okay for you to think that it's not okay to touch someone? Right. Now, I know there's a, a thing between good touch and bad touch, mm-hmm. but how do you have healthy touch as Christians or as people who just, our bodies need to be held. Our bodies need to know that there is love. I mean, it's one thing to hear I love you. It's another thing to to tell someone else I love you. But if you're going to fully engage all of your senses in love, you have to have some aspect of the physical touch. Yeah. Whether it's a hug, whether it's a high five, whether it's a handshake, or whether it's intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and intimacy doesn't necessarily mean sex, but intimacy is, you know, it, it's exactly what it is. It's intimacy. It's being right. intimate. Right. And so I think that there is a need for that. And if you go years and years and years and you've never had that touch, mm-hmm. quite naturally, your body and your soul is going to be wanting that. Right. And I think to say, oh, no, you're not supposed to have any kind of touch or contact is depriving yourself of what you should have. Right. You know, because when I think about God touching us or the Holy Spirit touching us, touch is a is a, is a sense. Mm. It's not just, oh, I was touching the spirit, but something happens to me physically when I commune with God, I really feel like the Lord is touching me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a beautiful feeling. And so something has to happen. Like right. we have to, our bodies need touch. We yeah. need to be held. We need to be felt. Like we need it. Mm-hmm. We need it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's interesting even in, you know, the context of, you know, uh, uh, not same sex relationships, but same sex friendship sort of thing is what I'm trying to talk about. Um, where we feel because of the taboo around same-sex relationships, which should not exist. But because of that taboo, we almost feel like even with, like, girlfriends or whatever, like, oh, don't get too touched, don't get too close, like, you don't want anybody getting confused, this is just, you know, and it's like, sometimes you're exactly right. People need to be held and loved by their friends, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And so the question then is, what do we have to teach as like current people who are in ministry? What is it that we need to be teaching people about touch and about healthy touch, right? Like we definitely need to teach like boundaries. They're driving that home these days. (laughs) Um, You know, not to be unhealthy. I think they teach us that pretty well, not to be unhealthy. Yeah, they do. But we're not really taught strategies for how to be healthy, especially in a world where I'm, 
you know, maybe people stay single longer or after spouses die, people don't get remarried in the same way that they once did. You know, plenty of women in their 60s and 70s today of all races live by themselves, right? Or they live in, you know, communities where they're still like pretty independent, right? So it's like, what do we do with this idea of touch? What are we teaching? What are we encouraging people to do? Mm, That's a good question. And I don't even know if we have a solution. Um, But I do think now is the time for such a time as this. I think that now is definitely the time for us to really engage these questions, for us to really think through these things and trying to find the models. And I think we need to let go of the shame of people feeling like they want to be touched. I think we need to we need to eliminate eliminate some of that sometimes. And I think people need to come out and uh, engage the dialogue. Mm -hmm. But how do we do that? That's the question. It's the how do we do that when it's been such a topic that people don't want to address. Yeah. And I think the perfect venue, in my opinion, is the black church. The black church, we've been risky. We talk about all kinds of things. Why not talk about this too? Right. Um, because I do think a lot of the liberation of the black community starts in the black church. For me, I, that's, I do believe that. Um, and even though things are shifting and changing in the 21st century, but I do think if the black church can get the courage to talk about this, yeah, I think we can have healthy dialogue Keep up with our adventures at JustTwoPearls.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JustTwoPearls. Email us at adventures at JustTwoPearls.com.